The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I can't wait to hear you sing today. Why don't you stand together as we sing? All hail the power of Jesus' name. How marvelous, how wonderful. Let's sing together.
would you join me as we pray together and our ushers come forward. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for this day. And we ask you, Lord, that in the midst of all that has been going on in our lives this week, that we would sing of our Redeemer today and that we would remember who you are and that this would be a meaningful experience as we partake in the Lord's Supper today. Father, speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and a receptive heart so that we might hear you and leave different than we came in. We praise you, Father. We sing to you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
we come this morning to gather around the Lord's table and to remember all that he did for us 2,000 years ago. In our church, we do this about four times a year so that it's regular, but not so regular that we forget the significance of what the Lord did for us. So as we come to the table today, all who are uh, born-again believers and baptized believers are welcome to come and participate in the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to be a member of the family of God. And so we welcome you to participate today. As we prepare to uh, take the Lord's elements, let's center ourselves on what the Lord did 2,000 years ago on the night of the Last Supper, the supper which we celebrate and remember this morning. I'm reading this morning from Matthew's account of the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom with you. And after singing psalms, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In the hours that followed, Jesus would live out what he was showing his disciples in the elements of that meal. His body would be broken as the bread was broken, and his blood would be shed just as they pictured that blood as they took that wine that night. Everything that he did, he did for you and for me so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might have eternal life. As you take these elements this morning, don't think of this as merely a ritual. Don't think of this as just simply something we do. But make this something that you remember what he did and that he did it for you. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the rest of us partake of these elements, would you reflect upon your relationship with the Lord and ask yourself, what am I waiting for? Jesus loves me enough to die for me. He loves me enough to forgive me completely of my sins. And then would you give your life over to him today? As Jesus gathered with his disciples that night, he took the bread, which was such a common staple of that day, a unleavened matzah, it's called. And he took that bread, and as he looked at it, he saw the bruises that had occurred from the fire. He saw the piercings that were there to allow it to bake properly. And he saw a picture of what his body would become in the hours that followed. He would be bruised for our transgressions. He would be pierced for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we would be healed. And so Jesus, as he took that bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Taking that bread and passing it to his disciples, they partook. And they thought about what Jesus meant by that. Jamie Gilliland is going to come and offer a prayer of blessing over the bread today. Let's pray. Jesus, as you surrendered your body 
to be broken. We praise you and thank you for sharing with us your resurrection, forgiveness. We thank you. We look forward to this time in Jesus' name.
Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. After the supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and as he peered into that cup, he could tell that it reminded him and would remind others of his blood that would be shed. Blood that would be shed so that sins could be forgiven. His perfect blood, the greatest commodity of life, covering sin, the greatest offense of life. And only through the shedding of blood could there be forgiveness of sins in God's economy. But Jesus would be the one sacrifice, the one lamb who would take away the sins of the world. As you take this cup, as you look down into it, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. We don't have to offer rams and lambs and bulls and all of that stuff anymore. Because Jesus paid the price himself. David Bates is going to come and thank the Lord for his blood that was shed for us. Lord, your word says that your blood washes us white as snow. And Lord, we know that that came with a price, a price of suffering, a price of pain. And Lord, the only way we can answer that is say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for we ask this in your name. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my blood which will be shed for all of you so that sins will be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. As Matthew recorded, after they had finished celebrating that last supper, they went out singing a hymn, celebrating and reflecting upon what Jesus had done. And so we're going to do that as a church family together, singing about the power of Jesus. Would you stand as we worship, as our deacons return to their families? May God continue to speak to us as we continue worshiping together.
Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for all that Jesus does for us? Aren't you glad for your salvation if you are saved today? He is so good. It was the last and greatest day of the feast. As everyone grew silent and strained to see the priest as he lifted that pitcher of water in his hands to watch it poured out upon the altar, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. It was powerful. It was penetrating. It was purposeful. It was a great moment at just the right moment. So what was the result? Mass conversions to Jesus? The launch of the church? No. The result of Jesus' great statement, which we considered last week, was division. As Jesus stepped into the light of publicity, he also stepped into a public trial. And we pick up the story in our text for today, John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Like a boat through water, like a knife through a loaf of bread, like a saw through a piece of wood, when Jesus made his proclamation, division ensued. And such division was no surprise to Jesus. He fully expected it. In fact, he taught his disciples to expect it. Consider what Luke records in his gospel in Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 52. 
Jesus said, do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But he brings that peace to people who acknowledge him as their Lord. Those who do not acknowledge him will find themselves in opposition to him. And those who follow him will find others in opposition to them. And that's because whenever a person turns to Christ, there is a turn. And so at one point in your life, you were going in the direction of everybody else. And then suddenly, you're going in the opposite direction of everybody else. There were thought patterns, there were beliefs, there were uh, insights and things that you claimed when you were going with the world, but when you turned and trusted Christ, you came in opposition to the world. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He did not want to bring division. Conflict is not his heart's desire, but because of the sinfulness of our hearts, because of our fallen nature, because of our unwillingness to repent and bow to him, the Prince of Peace is often Christ the divider. People confronted with the revelation of God in Christ are not allowed to remain neutral. You have to decide, will I follow him or will I not? He is the Prince of Peace, but he is also the Great Divide. And the division that occurred on this day in the temple courts is no different than the divisions that occur in our own day. Because in this passage, I see the people dividing into about four camps. Camp A is the camp of amazement. There were a lot of people already in this camp. They liked Jesus' miracles. They liked his teaching. That's what caused the people to flock to him. And that's what caused some of the people that day to say, this guy, this guy must be the prophet. It's what caused others to say, no, he, he must be the Christ. It's also what caused the temple guards to leave the scene without arresting Jesus. You see, the chief priests and Pharisees had dispatched the temple guards to arrest Jesus because these pompous, pious joy suckers had heard that the people were whispering niceties about Jesus. These religious leaders knew that the people were talking about Jesus maybe being the great prophet Moses had told about, or maybe he was the Messiah that they had long been looking for, but that could not be because the religious elite knew better. So the temple guards were dispatched on an easy mission, just go in, grab Jesus, arrest him, but they returned empty-handed. And did you notice what they said in verse 46 when they were asked why they didn't bring them in? They said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. The officers were overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus and in his words. And as one person said, in other words, they came to arrest him, but they were arrested by him. 
They were amazed. In hearing Jesus, they sized him up and they thought, this guy's not dangerous. In fact, his teaching is quite good. Maybe the Pharisees and the chief priests are just mistaken. Now, though they were amazed, this doesn't mean that the guards became converts. In fact, it doesn't seem they did here. They just spared Jesus' life for another day. They were amazed by him, but they did not yet allow themselves to be changed by him. You know, many people are amazed by Jesus, but they're never converted to Jesus. They like the goosebumps of worship. They like the helpful teaching of the Bible. They'll even get excited about answered prayers or the miraculous that happens, but they stop short of giving their lives over to Jesus. A religious experience does not equal conversion. Wonder in worship does not equal conversion. Being amazed by Jesus but never converted is taking a portion of the benefits of Jesus without making a commitment to Jesus. These people love his amazing teaching, but they know nothing of his amazing grace. And friends, if you don't know his amazing grace... You really know nothing of Jesus. You're really missing out. Because the amazing grace doesn't come until you yield your life to him. If Jesus amazes you today, I'm glad. That's good. I hope you have wonder and worship. I hope that you take the teachings of Scripture and, and want to apply them to your life. You've made a great step toward trusting Him. But would you move past just mere amazement to commitment? Because I guarantee you, once you make that step, you'll be more amazed than you could possibly imagine. That's Camp A, the camp of amazement. Camp B is the camp of bewilderment. Amazement often leads to bewilderment. We're amazed by the things we see Jesus that, that he can do, but we're confused and bogged down. And on that particular day, there were three immediate opinions about Jesus that we see in verses 40 and 42. The first, some of the people said, well, this man is the prophet. These people thought that Jesus was the prophet referred to by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. A prophet like unto me that's going to come. Moses had promised that God would one day give his people another prophet like him. And Moses was most definitely referring to the Christ. And he was definitely referring to Jesus. But the Jews in Jesus' day did not understand that. So some of them said he must be the prophet. Other people identified Jesus as the Messiah, and they were correct as well. But the third group said, no, he's just a man. The Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. We all know this guy came from Galilee. When we look at these three groups, two of them were correct. Jesus was the prophet 
Moses was talking about. And Jesus was, yes, he was the Messiah. The other group, though, was merely misinformed. Yes, Jesus had come to them from Galilee, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem. All three groups were rightly trying to figure out if Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But unfortunately, their bewilderment led to greater division. And it often does. Misunderstanding and misinformation often lead to division among people who are actually on the same page. Many people are bewildered about Jesus today. And because they are, they never turn to him. They get stuck on the questions. They get bogged down in debate. But what often interestingly happens is they never really seek the answers. Questions are meant to bring understanding, not just to bring more questions. And so if you're truly asking questions, then you're truly seeking information. But too often, people simply want to debate instead of find the truth. And if you have questions about the faith, that's great. But your questions can be answered, and I assure you that the truth will set you free. Don't stay in the camp of bewilderment. The third camp is the camp of open conflict. This conflict was open and hostile, and it came from the religious leaders. Those pompous, pious, joy-suckers refused to face the facts honestly. And they passed judgment on the basis of their prejudices and their superficial examination of the facts. It's much easier to go with labeling instead of listening. And when the temple guards reported about Jesus' amazing teaching, a fact of which the religious leaders themselves had noticed, the Pharisees dismissed them. They said in verse 47, You mean he has deceived you also? Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Have you who worked among us been deceived by him as well? Look around you. Have any of us believed? No. We are far too educated to be duped by a bumpkin from Nazareth. Only ignorant fools accept this man. Ignorant fools like that crowd out there who know nothing of the law. That's who follow him. There's a curse on them. You know, still today, there are those who are too educated, too clever, too good to think they need Jesus. But the reality is we are all lost without him and we are in great need of him. The Bible tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. In fact, our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags compared to Jesus. We all fall short of the glory of God And we don't just fall short, we fall way, way short. Still, sometimes it's those who are educated and clever and 
even simply good, who discount their need for God the most. And sometimes they, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, bring the most conflict when faced with the claims of Christ. I don't need Jesus. When the fact of the matter is, you do. We all do. We all need Jesus. I don't see how anybody can go through life without Jesus. I don't understand it. The third, that third camp is in open conflict. The fourth camp is Camp D, the camp of devotion. There's a great deal of irony as you read this little account from John. The Pharisees' report says none of them has believed. But then in verse 50, we read about Nicodemus, one of them, a Pharisee, one of the best Pharisees. And John identifies him as the one who went to Jesus, the one who in John 3 went to Jesus asking questions, who found out how to be born again, the one to whom Jesus quoted the verse we all know, John 3, 16. And Nicodemus had first come to Jesus at night, but now Nicodemus, in this open forum, asks a question. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? No doubt Nicodemus had been doing a great deal of thinking since he first met with Jesus. And he was not afraid now to take a stand for the truth. Here, Nicodemus is the voice of reason. He doesn't openly say, well, guys, I believe. But he asks a probing question. He wisely tries to get the men to follow their law and to give Jesus a chance. But Nicodemus' colleagues will hear none of it. They reply with anger, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now here's the funny thing. They were so angry they couldn't even think straight. They couldn't even remember their own history. Because you see, a, they said a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Really? As a matter of fact, many of the prophets had come out of Galilee. Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, and some others. And if they were referring to the Messiah, yes, he was to be from Bethlehem. But perhaps Nicodemus had studied the Messianic prophecies a little more than his colleagues. Because maybe he read in Isaiah 9.1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. And then Isaiah continues into that great passage that we use at Christmas and at Easter. One of the greatest messianic passages in the Bible. For to us a child is born and so forth. It's interesting to me that as these religious authorities argued, they really didn't know what they were arguing about. They didn't have all the facts. Often, maybe even usually, when people argue against Christianity and they argue against the Bible, they really don't know what they're arguing about. They'll take one thing that they know and they'll just beat it to death, but they don't want to be confronted with anything else. 
They know what they know, and they don't want to know what you know. That conflict is evident in our day, just as it was in Jesus' day. Our culture is arguing away the truths of God's Word without even taking into account the truths of God's Word. Without an awakening in our land, we will see conflict grow greater over the next decade or so. True believers must know what they believe and why they believe it. Several decades ago, R. Kent Hughes wrote prophetically, The division that Christ brings is going to become more pronounced. The lines will be sharply defined. Christ will be everything to individuals or he will be nothing. Those who drink of the fountains of secularism will be unfulfilled and empty. But those drinking of Christ will overflow. The changes facing us in society demand that we become great drinkers of the water that only Christ gives. For only those who follow him have great power and vitality in their lives. How do you get that vitality? You've got to go back to what Jesus shouted over the crowd that day. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As we said last week, we've got to recognize our thirst and seek the appropriate source of satisfaction. Only then will we see satisfying results of rivers of life flowing from us. You know, two years ago when our family was granted a sabbatical, one of the places we went was Colorado. And during that trip, we drove up to a portion of the Continental Divide that was close to where we were. And at that point in the Continental Divide, all of the water that flows west goes to the Pacific and everything that goes to the east goes to the Atlantic. And it, the water, the snow, it has to make a choice. Which way is it going to go? That happens to us when we're faced with Christ. While we may divide into all kind of camps as we're trying to figure out Christ, at the end of the day, at the end of our life, it comes down to only two ways to go. To believe or not to believe. To trust or to deny. Jesus is that eternal divide. All those who trust him go to heaven. All those who deny him go to hell. The question for all of us is to, in which grip, group are we? In which group are you? If, if you're amazed by Jesus today, that's great, but would you make the step to devotion so that you will trust him and experience heaven one day? If you're bewildered today by Christ, would you truly seek the answers of Christ so that you may trust him and choose him and enjoy the blessings of heaven one day? If you are in conflict today, would you lay down the sword? Would you listen to the truth and would you allow the truth of Jesus Christ himself to show you the way to devotion and to commitment so that you can follow him and enjoy heaven forever? As you stand on that divide today, decide for yourself, Jesus makes none of us go a certain way. We choose all on our own. Am I going to follow him or am I going to deny him? If you're really thirsty today, would you come to him and drink? Would you come to him and follow him forever? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have seen before you today what Jesus did for you.
There's an old song that says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. We really were. I don't understand how Jesus could do that, but we were. He did that for you and for me so that our sins may be forgiven. And so we want to give you an opportunity this morning to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, it's very simple to trust Christ. You simply begin by confessing of your sins, realizing that you're a sinner, knowing that you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And then you confess him as your Lord and Savior, saying, I want to follow you with everything that I have. I may be a good person, but I still need Jesus to save me. I may be a self-made person, but I still need Jesus to save me. I may be educated, but I still need Jesus to save me. There's no one righteous. And so you come to him and you trust him and you accept him. And then you confess him as your Savior and Lord. Acknowledging before the world that you are going to follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. We invite you to make that decision for Christ today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation that says, just as I am. And that is how we come to Christ. Just as as we are, we come to him trusting him. And so when we stand and sing in just a moment after I pray, I encourage you, if you want to trust Jesus Christ today, that you'd come forward, you'd say, Pastor, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It may be that you're here also and you want to become a part of this fellowship of believers. I invite you to come. Or maybe the Lord's put some other kind of burden on your heart that you need prayer for. We're open to that as well. May we go to him in prayer today. Lord, I pray that we are truly thirsty. I pray, God, that we will seek your face this morning. And I pray, God, that no one would leave here without trusting you as their Lord and Savior. Speak now as we come to you, just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and sing, would you follow the Lord's leading in your life today? <laughs>